You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. We are at episode 53 here. Since I know that you can't get enough of this, head on over to my mailing list where I send out weekly tips, inspiration, journal prompts, stories, fun shenanigans, just to make sure that you are well on your way to becoming the best version of you. This week's episode is with Danielle Swim. Danielle and I actually know each other not from specializing in the same thing. Actually, I don't know how we know each other. Probably from Instagram. <laughs> I make a lot of my friends on Instagram these days. Yeah. Uh, but most recently, we actually were in a mastermind together. So I guess it's like sort of like a business mastermind. I'm not really sure how to describe it. But it's the kind of thing where as a therapist, in order for me to be doing my job... I need to be taking care of me, my mental health, my practice, my family, all of that. So obviously I have an analyst that goes without saying, but in terms of my practice to make sure that the podcast, my patients, my Instagram, my mailing list, all of this is being nurtured as it should be. I wanted to make sure that I give it my all and be supported at the same time. So huge shout out to Jen, who is our coach. But anyways, we were part of that. So just so much fun to hang out off Instagram, people. A bit about Danielle. So Danielle is a certified eating disorder specialist in Annapolis, Maryland. She has a group practice. So they focus on helping women heal their relationship with food and their body, all about intuitive eating. She is really into mental health and female empowerment. Such a good type woman, by the way. I'll link to all of her stuff in the show notes. She's also a business coach. So she does business coaching for therapists, which is the coolest. She's entrepreneurial therapist, which I think I had to practice for years before I actually could say. Anyways, when she's not working, she's outside with her toddler and puppy or in a yoga class. Her puppy is so adorable, people. Anyways, we are talking about teens and eating disorders. So we know that the onset of eating disorders is teenage years. That sort of is something that we know. And it's incredible when people of that age group in adolescence actually reach out for help because chances are that recovery is so much more likely when you reach out earlier than later. But what Danielle had noticed is that over the pandemic, the amount of inquiries, especially for teens, completely skyrocketed. So today we're talking about why do eating disorders affect teens? How does that work? And how did the pandemic exacerbate it slash it's still happening now? So if you are an adolescent or if you want to understand your adolescent self, or if you are a parent, this is a really wonderful conversation, you know, just for information, but also for preventative work. So let's just jump right in. Thank you, Danielle, for joining me. I'm so excited to do this. You know, it's so 
strange. I have never heard you talk about eating disorders before in a formal setting like this. So this is so exciting for me. (laughs) I know. Like I was literally excited last night thinking about sitting down with you because now we get to talk about our passion, which never actually comes up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So odd how that happens. But either way, what we're talking about teens, which I'm also really grateful that we're talking about because it's not something that I specialize in. In fact, I I don't see adolescents at all anymore Mm. in my practice you know, maybe eventually we can change that, but right now I don't. So whatever I know about teens, I guess is more theoretical or intellectual. It's not really from, this is my jam. So I'm excited to have a specific topic and we, you know, we can talk about all different things, but I think what's so significant about recently is that teens have always been calling us and like looking for eating disorder treatment, but from the start of COVID, it's been absolutely wild. Right. Like the number of teens that have been inquiring or parents for teens. And I guess to a certain extent, it's not uncommon. The onset of eating disorders very often Mm -hmm. is adolescence or when a kid is a teenager. So it's not weird, but I think the level of severity now is completely out of control. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I agree with that. And I think everybody's seen it. Like a pediatrician in my area recently was saying something similar. Like she was asking, like, are you seeing this post pandemic? Because their whole practice is really seeing how much the pandemic impacted eating disorders specifically in teens. And I think everyone's looking around being like, why, like what is happening? It's like gasoline was thrown onto a fire in 2020. And now we're all like in it and we're like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. Yeah. And even now that I I don't even know what you want to call it because there's like still COVID around, but technically like post COVID era, we're still seeing it. So maybe it's not exactly the same, but something has shifted what feels like almost permanently because Mm -hmm. of whatever happened over COVID and no school, et cetera. But maybe we can break it down into two separate categories so that we can cover both of them. Okay. First of all, what makes eating disorders affect teens in particular? How does it work? Why does it happen? And then we can sort of add the pandemic piece on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for teens, it's always impacted this age group, like what you're saying. That's not brand new to us, but For teens, it's like their body is changing. They're becoming really aware of what other people think about them. Puberty's hitting, you know, the sex hormones are going crazy. And so they're just super aware of their body and then their body's changing as well. So it's like everything that they have heard about food and body image throughout their entire life kind of comes to this pinnacle where now they are super aware of the way they look and how others are perceiving the way that they look. And it just like gives such a perfect scenario for disordered eating to develop because anxiety can be high, depression can be high. And then they look to that one thing that they want to control, which is food and body. Right. And then put that together with potential poor body image because of how their body is shifting and not Mm -hmm. really knowing what to do with that. It's so funny because I hadn't remembered this in a long time. When I was a teen, I guess like whenever is like normal for puberty to hit. So they have like all the different talks, but there is a piece that they highlighted. Like you can't just eat whatever you want anymore because your body's not just like <gasps> growing a few inches every year. Right. I mean, people can't see your reaction right now, yes, but like, that's oh insane. my God. Who yeah. said that? That was in a classroom. 
I don't even remember, honestly. Okay. Like it was probably like, I, I don't know, period talk and other sex talks, but like, you know, it was sort of part of the way that we talk about puberty. Like you got to like, think about things differently now. Yeah. So of course, and you know, I think when, so when I was 12, everybody turned bat mitzvah and there were tons of different birthday parties that year. So almost every weekend was another party, what felt like almost every weekend. And that was like the thing that stuck out in my head. Mm. I have to be aware of how much pasta I'm eating because this person said that my body is not going to grow three inches this, wow. this year. You know, isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. And I think like, you heard that, but I've also heard parents and even doctors sometimes say that like, yep, your metabolism can start catching up at this age. You're no longer a kid or you're no longer doing, you know, soccer five days a week. Cause now you're 16 and you're working and you're sitting a lot more. So it's just like all this pressure that your body's changing and you have to be really careful about these changes. You know, that's the messaging that teens are getting. Yeah. So then what do you think shifted besides? So there's a perfect storm. Hooray. Sarcastic. Hooray. Then there's the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> then there's the pandemic. So how did that throw, like you said, gasoline in the fire? Yeah. So I got really curious about this because I'm sure you saw the same thing in your practice, but it was like, it was almost really quiet during the lockdown initially. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nobody was making any moves. It was like the apocalypse. And then I would say about six months after March, 2020, it was like this boom really started. And then 2021 was like a huge burst of eating disorders, like coming into my practice. And it was overwhelming to just manage, like, who can I refer out and who am I able to see? So I got really curious about this because of my own work experience. I was like, what is going on? And other people started asking me too, like, are you seeing this? Mm -hmm. And so then when I realized everyone's seeing this, I wanted to know what the answer was. Like, why is this actually happening? And to be honest, I don't think we have the full reason yet. I don't think we're far enough out yet to know, but we do know enough. And Forbes actually did an article on this. Um, it was about maybe a year ago, they published it. Like, why is this happening with eating disorders in teens during the lockdowns? Why was there such a surge? And they actually interviewed a couple adolescents who developed an eating disorder oh, to ask them, how did this develop? How did the lockdown impact it? And what a lot of us as adults weren't seeing was what the teens were seeing on social media. Mm -hmm. So on TikTok and Instagram, there were very similar challenges happening during the lockdowns about making sure you don't gain the COVID-15 that was a headline on CNN, Fox News, Today Show, everyone's gaining weight during COVID. That was a big trend in the beginning because we weren't leaving our homes. So everyone Everyone was like very focused on this. Well, teens picked up on that, but they mm -hmm. took it to TikTok is where I've seen it the most with the people I've worked with and doing like these very specific challenges of um, like 10 days of really clean eating and then doing like an ab challenge. And I remember, and I don't know if you saw this, but in the accounts I was following, I saw some of these like ab challenges to make the most of lockdown, but it was for like moms, but for the teens, mm -hmm. it was really extreme. And th that this was their only way of socializing 
which is the only time in history a teenager has ever been exposed to only socializing through their phone because they couldn't leave their house. Yeah. And then parents are overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed as a parent during lockdown. So I understand this, but screen time was very lax because we were all like, we have to do, we have to work. So kids were on screens more too. So they were exposed to more social media. Now social media has changed. There's these challenges around body image, food. And of course the influencers that are doing it are wearing like the crop tops, have six packs, have tans, very Mm -hmm. unattainable bodies for most people. So they're in a traumatic event and they're constantly being exposed to this messaging of this is how your body needs to look and this is how you get it. And a lot of these high achievers picked up on it and ran with it. And the parents were overwhelmed, understandably. Um, They weren't going to school. So not a lot of people were seeing this. Like it was happening in their bedroom. They were doing the app challenge or at home. They were quote unquote, making healthier choices. And the parents Mm -hmm. were like, oh, great. They're taking care of their health. And then it snowballs into a full-blown eating disorder. So that's what I've seen in doing the research and just in my own clinical practice. That's a huge piece of this puzzle as to why it all came out the way it has. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even taking that and sort of branching out. So there's the social media piece and especially that it was the only way that they can connect. But thinking about the lack of actual connection that they were having face-to-face and that's not, you know, no physical contact, no emotional contact, like, you know, they just couldn't be normal teens. That is so important as a Mm -hmm. kid, as an adolescent. And if you don't have that, you're lacking the foundation of Mm -hmm. whatever you need. So who knows? I mean, well, I guess we do know what can happen if that's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Now we do. Now we know. And I think it's like the piece of how traumatizing the lockdown was for the families in general. Like what the things that were being shown on the news, teens saw that too. Um, Mm -hmm. Worried about like their grandparents getting COVID and they might die if they get COVID. You know, like all of this was stuff that was being talked about in every house across the United States. And so the the food and the body image is very distracting. And Mm -hmm. I think that was a very welcome distraction for a lot of the adolescents then. Yeah. And even thinking about it potentially is not even a distraction, but as something that could potentially help. So, so much of media and wherever we get our information was talking about how people who are quote overweight or obese or whatever word they use are at a higher risk for COVID death and just like you know, higher risk COVID Mm -hmm. and that probably freaked people out. So the first thing that most people know about health is to lose weight or to limit your intake. And it could have been coming from a very good place of, I want to keep myself okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people, you know, there's a spectrum of what was going on in each house around food during the pandemic, but a lot of people were at least talking about getting more vegetables, getting vitamin D and to help prevent COVID and, or fight it if you get it. And so it was, I think it could go from like orthorexic behaviors to anorexic behaviors pretty easily during that time period. Mm -hmm. So even just, let's say on this topic, if we're talking about health, which I think there are too many misconceptions. So even the word health, it feels ambiguous at this point, but let's say there's a parent who says, I do want my kid to be healthy. And it kind of looks like they are until 
they're really, really not. And that becomes obvious, but how can you help your teen be healthy, but not necessarily cause like body image issues or an eating disorder, disordered eating? Right. Right. And I think this is a really common concern every parent has. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, of course, no parent wants to cause an eating disorder, but you also want a child who does thrive and is getting the nutrition that they need. And so it is a gray area where I think as parents, you know, we have to be really careful about what we're saying and how we're actually viewing health, which is something you kind of touched on. So really take a zoom out you know, lens of health and like holistically, how is their emotional health? Like, how are they physically feeling? Where I think parents start with, oh, I want them to be healthy. So let me make a comment on cookies that they're eating or fun food. Let me cut out fun food. And that is what can cause the disordered eating to come about. You know, one of the things, the statistics I always tell parents that helps them is, you know, a teen is 242 times more likely to develop an eating disorder over type two diabetes. Wow. Really? Yes. Oh my God. I'll send you the thing to reference that. Yes, please. But that really helps parents, including myself, because if, you know, my daughter is eating a cookie and I'm worried about, well, is she going to be healthy because of this cookie? The phrases that I decide to use are really important because they are more likely to develop disordered eating or an eating disorder over type two diabetes. So, you know, that's really where we want our focus to be is the language that we're using around food and just checking in with them. Like, you know, how are you feeling? Did you get enough to eat? So I like to coach parents on that really viewing food as energy instead of punishment or Mm -hmm. something that needs to be controlled. Um, And then, you know, learning the, like the basic nutrition, raising an intuitive eater. I'm sure you've heard Mm -hmm. of that book. It came out recently. It's such a good book for parents too. But like, I think there, I did an interview the way I can link that also. Oh, Um, cool. mm -hmm. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So like pairing a protein, you know, when you're able to with, of food or like, mm-hmm. you know, if they're, if you know that they're going to soccer practice, making sure they're nice and fueled, but a lot of the health comes from what you're modeling for the child too. So, so, so true. Yeah. And that's a hard pill to swallow, you know? So they're really watching what you're doing. And I think the adults that I work with having kids is a big motivation for them to heal their relationship with food because they're watching everything much more than what you're saying. So if you are worried about your child being healthy, really take a step back and look at your own self-care behaviors. Food can be included in that, but let's really look at everything else too. Mm -hmm. What if there's a parent that says like, I see my kid is gaining weight. Like, what do I do? And I mean, I'm assuming the first thing that pops into most people's mind just to bring them to a dietitian, which is like, you know, probably the thing we hear most when we deal with adult clients is that I went to some form of a nutritionist when I was young. So it doesn't really sound like the best option, but then what is? Yeah. And I think I want to normalize that kids do 
quote unquote, gain weight. Teens do quote unquote, gain weight. Bodies are constantly changing at these ages. There's so much development happening. And I think it's the, the parents anxiety of they want a healthy child. So then again, let's go back to that conversation we just had. Let's look at their overall health. Um, and then they're worried about living in diet culture. Like, is my child going to be made fun of at school or are they mm-hmm. not going to like their own body? And these are really important things to like think about as the parent, but we really want to approach it from the health at every size intuitive eating lens of what can you as the parent do to help build up this body image? So when there are changes in the body, because there'll be so many changes in, in the body in the lifetime of that child, how can they be resilient enough emotionally to handle that while making sure that they're still taking care of holistically their overall health? And then I like, you know, in a perfect world, you would see a health at every size pediatrician who can answer that question. Are they healthy? Like does blood work show that they're healthy? Um, and really look at the holistic factors that go into that. Yeah. I think, well, that's, that's so tricky because sadly, most doctors aren't informed. Um, and you know, it's one thing if they're not informed and then they just sort of say, like, I don't really know. I'll refer to my registered dietitian colleagues, And usually they don't. So it's the kind of thing where we have to be wary. I mean, again, sadly, and this is a generalization of sometimes the information that they're getting from doctors, Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes, you know, they'll be weighed at the doctor and the doctor will say, well, you're sort of like inching in the wrong direction. So maybe go for this option as opposed to that option. And that can really stick in someone's head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, you know, as an eating disorder professional, because it's, it's going against the culture that we all live in. And so it's, it's like an extremely difficult task, but I, you know, if a parent is, is pushing this or a client is pushing this, I always say, let's run through it. Great. Mm -hmm. Let's go with the doctor's advice to lose weight. What does that look like? You know, they're normally talking about cutting out something, some kind of food, increasing exercise. Is that sustainable? What's that going to do to their relationship with food? What is that going to do to their mental health? What happens if they don't follow that? Are they all of a sudden going to feel guilty and anxious about eating that certain food? Are they going to feel like they're disappointing you as the parent? for not following these directions? Are they going to sneak food? Does binge eating start happening because they're restricting? So like, let's play through this scenario of the recommendation of weight loss and what that actually will look like because it sounds fantastic when it's recommended. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, of course. But if we actually play through it and really look at it, you know, is this sustainable? How long is this going to last? What does this do to the relationship to food and body? This is when we can get a lot more realistic about looking at other options through health at every size that does focus on the child's health. Yeah. I love looking at it from this perspective that you're trying to set your kid up for a healthy relationship with food, with movement, with their body for their entire life. And so yes, today they're 13, 14, 17, whatever they are, but their body's going to change in 10 years and in 20 years and in 40 years. And it's going to continue to change, especially for girls when they're women, a lot Mm -hmm. of them are going to go, you know, through pregnancy and then for sure menopause. It's like, you have to have these skills because otherwise you're totally screwed. I know. And I think it's so important that 
people listen to what you just said, because in our culture, that isn't talked about. It's just assumed you go through puberty and then your body just stays the same for like 50 <laughs> years. I don't understand. It's so crazy. And, and it's not accurate at all. Um, and it, it's very unattainable and, and the body isn't meant to do that. So I think that is such a good point, like set them up for skills so that they can go through these body changes over and over again, because it will happen. Yeah. And even thinking about, you know, let's say you had mentioned something about metabolism slowing. I don't know if it was maybe in reference to maybe a doctor was saying something like that. If that is indeed happening and your food intake is mm -hmm. shifting. So let's say a, a teenage boy definitely needs a different amount of energy than let's say a 45 year old woman, but presumably their metabolism is going to tell them if they can actually tap into their hunger fullness cues, will tell them when they need to start when they want to finish right. eating. And if we can teach them how to tap into that, then they can sort of just like go with the flow as life goes on. And instead of having to like look for other people to say, oh, so now that I'm 20 years older, this is how much I'm supposed to quote be eating. But really you have all of that in your body. It's built in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you get this too, where like we talk about the hunger fullness cues are there when we're born, like the babies have it, you know, toddlers are pretty good at it. And then it's stripped away through the exposure to diet culture. So like mm -hmm. as the parent or a teacher or whoever's in front of the adolescent, we don't want you to be in that role of taking away those hunger fullness cues because it is so much work to get them back emotionally mm -hmm. and physically. It's part of the recovery journey and it's worth getting them back. But if we can just keep them like we're meant to, yes. then we don't have to do this insane, climb this insane mountain of getting hunger fullness cues back. So I want to preserve that in my daughter. I want to preserve that in, in any teen that's out there. Try to protect it as much as you can. Yeah. So then what if you're a parent and you do notice that your kid is starting to talk about how fat they are. They're always looking in the mirror and they're just like really preoccupied. So we've kind of gotten to the stage where their body image isn't good anymore. But what do you do then? I know. So that is really tough. And I think the first reaction of anyone, including myself is, you know, if a teenage girl, for example, is like, I'm so fat. The first reaction you want to say is, oh, you're not fat. Mm -hmm. But if you are the parent, then A, thank goodness you're noticing something because there's a lot that happens with teens specifically behind closed doors that we're just not able to see, no matter how amazing of a parent you are. So if you're noticing something that tends to be the tip of the iceberg. So we want to, you know, if, if you are still able to have a good rapport with your teen, still have a good connection and relationship. You want to find that time to really ask about like, what's going on here? I've noticed you've said this a couple of times without the argument of no, you're not fat or no, your stomach isn't huge, whatever it is that they're saying about their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of teens have told me it doesn't help when people tell me that it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> but if we can like open up the dialogue, I really think that's the first step. And then goes back to your modeling the body image. You have been their entire life. So really looking at, you know, how are you talking about your own body? And the third point is I really like it when parents can have the conversations with 
their teen who is expressing some body image stuff. Like, you know, if they get home from soccer practice to be like, oh, your legs must be getting like really strong. Cause you, you were out there for, you know, four hours today. Like if you can like look at the body's functions and what it's doing or um, make sure you eat a good breakfast or make sure you eat breakfast before you go to school, because yeah, I know you have a lot of tests and your brain needs nourishment before it goes in. Mm-hmm. Like if we can really zoom out and not just do diet culture, body talk that really helps. And then of course, seeing a body image therapist or a therapist who can help in this area can really be life-saving because it can start with body image. It can easily go into disordered eating, then an eating disorder. So if we can catch it on the back end, if possible, it's a lot less work for everyone. Yeah. And a lot less pain. So yeah, it's, it's a, almost like a good insurance policy. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the teen will be so happy to talk about it with someone because if they're making comments, they're asking for help. Like mm-hmm. they want you to know they're not going to say things to you that they don't want you to know. Right. Teens yes. <laughs> know how to be very secretive. So if they're saying something to you or doing something in front of you, they're waving a flag. Like I need some attention in this area. Yeah. And I just want to emphasize what you had said before, that if they say I'm so fat and you say something like, no, you're not, or you're so beautiful. What really you're saying is to say with the first one, you're not fat. You're basically saying, I actually disagree with your perspective and that's Mm -hmm. pretty invalidating. And then if you say something like, no, you're beautiful. You're almost saying, yeah, you're fat, but I also think you're beautiful. But if you're confirming that they're fat, that's sort of the worst thing for your teen. And so that's also not what they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And you're giving the message of, oh, you're not fat, but you know, then the team might be thinking, well, what if I am, are you saying that's not beautiful? So Mm -hmm. there's just, you cannot do this the right way. So just don't go down this path, have a bigger conversation about this, help zoom out. And a lot of times they're very receptive to talking about this because it's going on in their head. It's exhausting for the teenager. They don't want to be feeling this way. Yeah. Is there anything, this is sort of just like popped into my mind. It's possible that it's a way longer conversation, but say you're at the point with your teen where you don't have the best relationship with them. Yeah. Um, what is there to do? Yeah. And that does happen in adolescence, you know, they can, they pull away. And so the relationship can be the most rocky during these years. However, So I have seen just in my own clinical practice, the teens that are pulling away, like they don't want to talk about their significant other or their friends sometimes can be a lot more open about body image if they're saying things in front of you about it. Because if you're able to approach it in a very open, authentic way as the parent, that's the only thing you can control. And even if they shut you down the first time, like, mom, you're being so dumb. No, I don't want to talk about this. Get out of my room. <laughs> you know, something like really um, combative like that. Even if they respond like that, you've done a great job because mm-hmm. they know that they can come to you about it. So I would still bring it up. Even if the relationship is rocky right now, you would be surprised that even some of the most resistant teens will come back around and talk to you about this. I love that point. It's also true and reassuring. So mm-hmm. important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. 
I am so happy that we did this and I'm hoping that it's helpful. I I think it will be. Uh, Before I let you go, can you let our listeners know where they can find you? Sure. So you can look up my practice is in Annapolis, Maryland. It's called Collide Behavioral Health. It's at collidebehavioralhealth.com. We have tons of blog posts and a couple free resources for anyone who wants to check that out. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Great. Thank you, Raquel. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.